right, hello and welcome to the Great Georgia Pollinator Podcast. My name is Becky Griffin and I'm your host today and I am super excited to have on the podcast with me my friend and co-worker Lauren Muller. She is the Conservation Outreach Coordinator for the State Botanical Garden and she has a passion for plants that I'm hoping that she shares with us today. Good morning Lauren, how are you today? Hey Becky, I'm doing really good. Well, I'm so glad that you could join us today. Thank you for giving us your time. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get this love and passion for plants? Well, you know, you've met my parents before. They live up in Blairsville with you. So you probably have a good idea that, you know, my, my dad is an outdoorsman and kind of a self-taught naturalist. And so... Um, that really came into play gr just growing up. Um, there was, you know, limited TV access and, and no video games. And, you know, at the time that was probably pretty upsetting to me because I was just forced to go outside. But, um, you know, in hindsight, I'm really thankful for that. So from a really young age, my dad was outside with me and teaching me how to identify certain types of pines based on the needles and their fascicles. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And so I just grew up outside and, you know, it wasn't until, Ooh, um, kind of halfway through, uh, my time as an undergrad that I realized, you know, Hey, horticulture is a degree and that's something pretty cool that I could explore. Um, and so, I was able to um, study under some really fabulous professors at the university. And, um, and so that's kind of where my, my professional uh, career in plants began. And, um, you know, it hasn't stopped or slowed down since. Well, that is true, because you are a force for native plants. <laughs> and I have met your sweet parents and they volunteer up here at the Georgia Mountain Research and Education Center where I work. So I do get to see them often and they are full of pride for the work that you're doing. So just so you know that. <laughs> so today sweet. we're gonna talk a little bit about the Connect to Protect program. And for those of you out there who participated in the Pollinator Spaces program, the Pollinator Spaces program was a sort of a garden certification program where you could build up your pollinator garden and have certain elements and it could be uh, a certified pollinator space in the state of Georgia. Well, the State Botanical Gardens has the Connect to Protect program, which is more advanced and a little more organized than my pollinator spaces project. So we kind of combined forces and I am very excited about the Connect to Protect. So Lauren, tell us about the Connect to Protect program. I'd be happy to. So um, I cannot claim the idea for Connect Protect. Um, this was sort of uh, an idea that my colleague Jennifer Seska, she's the conservation coordinator at the garden. She sort of adapted an idea that came out of Fairchild Botanic Garden. Um, they have a program called Connect Protect. Um, there's this sort of specific to a, a rare habitat and helping create those spaces throughout um, urban and suburban areas, but Jennifer adapted it and, and, and made it into what it is now, which is, it is a pollinator garden certification program. And so what's in a name? Um, Connect to Protect is we're connecting uh, people to native plants. 
We're connecting native plants to the insects and wildlife that they support. And we're connecting patches of habitat across the state. So that is in a nutshell, what Connect Protect is. It's um, sort of based out of the Center for Native Plant Studies at the garden. So uh, my, my colleague, uh, Heather Alley, she's the conservation horticulturist. She has some really amazing um, experience with growing a lot of native plants, both rare and common. And so she's got this fabulous bank of knowledge, what plants work well in these pollinator gardens, because, you know, let's be honest, some, some native plants aren't great for uh, a garden type setting, and, and they may be a little aggressive or tall. And so we are able to suggest some really tried and true plants for folks who are looking to establish these gardens. So there's a couple qualifications. The first is that there's three native species blooming per season, spring, summer, and fall. We also encourage including three larval host plants. So think uh, milkweed for the monarchs, um, passion vine for the Gulf fritillary, things like that. We also encourage people to include uh, some garden elements that support the entire life cycle of the bee, right? So we, we want to feed the adult bees and, and provide nectar and pollen to those insects, but we also, you know, encourage folks to maybe have bee houses, things like that, or leave bare unmulched ground for ground nesting bees. Um, and of course, we encourage people to, um, to not spray any kind of uh, insecticides in their garden. And that's a, a no brainer. Um, but all in all, it's, it's supporting the whole life phase, the whole life cycle of these insects. That's kind of critical to the program. So we're uh, encouraging people to create a nice little ecosystem there um, where they can enjoy all the different phases of the life cycles of these insects. Absolutely. And, and they can be any size, any shape, anywhere. It can be as small as a potted garden on someone's patio. It could be a really large installation in a downtown area. Um, you know, it, they take all kinds of shapes and forms and, um, and we help facilitate that through uh, providing people with plant lists. We contract grow plants for garden installations. We have some cool interpretive signage that goes along with the garden because we all know that education is huge um, in showing people that our landscapes can, can have ecological value. So we have a lot of really wonderful resources for folks who are looking to establish these gardens at their homes, um, churches, businesses, all kinds of places. Excellent, and you did hit on a key um a key topic that I get asked about a lot, and that's some plant recommendations. So I know that you guys have some really good lists out there, and you're also um, are great to if people have questions about what will grow in their area, what would look nice, and what they're trying to do. But bringing those really ecologically important plants in everyday gardens, which I think is very exciting. Yeah. So we have these gardens, you mentioned um, in churches and schools, of course, is a big one. I have a lot of school gardens I work with. And you did mention homes. So is it 
possible for a homeowner to have his or her garden registered as a connect to protect garden? Absolutely. Um, the registration process is really easy. We have a, an electronic form uh, through our website, which is botgarden.uga.edu. Um, and, you know, you just are checking some boxes. Do you have all of those recommendations or those requirements um, in your garden space? And, you know, it's not it's not a all or nothing. We're not telling people that you can only have native plants in your garden. You know, that's not the case at all. Um, there are some really great non-native plants that, that do provide nectar and pollen for insects, but we do ask that you don't have invasive plants purposefully in your, in your garden space. Right, and list of invasives is pretty easy to come up with if you don't intuitively know that a privet is not something you want in your garden. You know? <laughs> that's right. So, um, so the process then is to look at your garden, see that you have those um, host plants, the larval plants, as well as the nectar and pollen plants. You have some nesting areas, and then you go to the website, which I will put in our notes, but it's botgarden.uga.edu. Um, That's right. That? Yep. And they can follow the little survey to make sure that they're meeting the requirements. And then talk about signage. Can they buy a sign to put in the garden? Is their garden listed on the website? What, what happens after that? Sure. So we have a number of uh, uh, options for signs. Um, some of them are quite artistic. Last semester we worked with an art student and she came up with a really neat design that has butterfly weed and a leaf cutter bee on it. We have signage that has a little bit more in the way of facts and, and the ways that the garden does provide ecological value. Um, and you know, these are all printed on uh, 11 by 17, a, a sturdy um, plastic type material, and they're really attractive. Um, there's also, you know, options for smaller, more discreet signage if you don't want something bright and, and bold and in your face, although we do encourage it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that's that's helping meet that educational requirement because maybe your neighbors want to know why their yard looks a little bit different and so signs help indicate that oh yeah and i think that those signs are perfect for schools um, absolutely it gets the the kids that are visiting the garden and the teachers that are working in that garden a little more information and then those casual visitors who are maybe just looking at the garden on their way into an art exhibit or whatever they get a little bit of education so I'm really excited about the new signs. Um, we, of course, at the Georgia Mountain Research and Education Center have a beautiful Connect to Protect garden. And I built one at my home, although I have not officially registered it, which I will be doing. <laughs> but we have a lot of people who participate in the Great Georgia Pollinator Census who have spent a lot of time building gardens. I believe in 2019, we had over 2,700 new habitats created because of the census and all the work that all of my partners have done to help with that. And even in 2020, in the midst of COVID, we had 575 new habitats reported. That's so incredible. Wonderful. If these people would um, go the extra step, do a little inventory of their space and get on the website and register their garden.